My name is Rika Malazzi, and I'm Senior Director of Go-To-Market Ops at Sapphire Ventures. I'm extremely excited to have this conversation with Robin Joy, SVP and General Manager of Small Business and Digital Sales at DocuSign. She leads a team focused on demand generation, digital experience, e-commerce, marketing, and analytics. Her team's work has helped introduce millions of people to the DocuSign platform through compelling web experiences and award-winning mobile app. On this episode, we discuss how DocuSign defines their digital experience, the role of performance marketing in enterprise tech, and how best to manage leads between marketing and sales. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Robin, thank you for joining us. It was great to be here, Erika. Great. I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation as your experience kind of blends marketing and sales and also the SMB segment, which for some enterprise companies is its primary segment. And for others, it's one that they expand to over time or start with and then expand out of. So I think it's relevant for a lot of enterprise technology companies. With that being said, could you give us a high level background about yourself, your experiences and your journey to DocuSign? Sure, absolutely. Well, maybe starting with DocuSign, just because I have been here for nine years now, I joined the company when we had 150 employees. We're up to 5,600 now. We were $30 million in annual revenue before I joined, and we're now at $1.5 billion in annual revenue last year. So it's been a really exciting journey here at DocuSign. And I had a few different responsibilities while I've been here, including our digital business, which is really focused on helping our customers try and buy DocuSign online. And over time, have put more emphasis on also trying to identify those customers that might be right for other channels as well. And so helping them through the funnel and getting them to the right person and the right opportunity so that they can purchase what's right for them for DocuSign. Prior to DocuSign, I worked at a number of different small and large companies, sort of a mixture of startups and larger companies. My longest stint was at Intuit, where I led marketing for QuickBooks, which was a great introduction to small business and all that is important to those businesses. Can you talk about the marketing activities you own in your role at DocuSign and and like the revenue numbers that you own from a sales perspective? Because I think it's an interesting blend of both. And I believe you own the BDR team, which in some companies is kind of put in the marketing division and other companies put in the sales division. And can you explain like the rationale behind where you have it? Sure, sure. And I actually, just to answer the last uh, part of that first, we call them sales development reps rather than BDRs, SDRs. And those are actually owned elsewhere in the organization, although I partner really closely with them. And we do have some offshore reps, which are managed by my team. So we sort of have a combination of reps who are full-time employees, as well as some supplemental reps who are offshore. And so my team manages the offshore reps there. But the team is really focused on the end-to-end journey for our customers as they think about wanting to get introduced to DocuSign And how do we best reach them? How do we help them get started in a trial? How do we get them through that trial to purchase? How do we, as I mentioned, think about if they're, what are the analytics and the signals that might suggest that they're larger companies and that we might want to have a human talk to them? And how do we help route them and get them to the right place to do that? That's great. And I think DocuSign kind of was a pioneer of product-led growth before people called it product-led growth in a sense. What are some of those key demarcation points along that journey that you've developed to kind of properly route customers to the right path? Maybe you can give us some examples at the front end of that journey and then as they go along the pipe. 
Sure. So there's signals throughout the journey, as you've indicated. Some of them are pretty standard demographic signals that oftentimes you can learn either because your prospect has told you in a form that you've had them fill out or because of other markers that um, you can leverage things that you can append data to. So some of the basic demographics, and then there's technographics. If you can understand what other technology those prospects are using, that can be another really good signal. So those are all signals that you try to get as quickly as possible in the journey. But then of course, because we leverage our trial for our e-signature product as really part of the prospect journey, That's also a great source of signals. For example, if someone has actually used the trial, if they've actually sent a document to somebody else to sign, that's a really key signal that we know they're more engaged and then can respond accordingly and help make sure that they're getting the help that they need to get through that journey and hopefully become a paying customer. That's really helpful. And I know free trials is, you know, an important kind of gateway for a lot of uh, product-led growth companies. When you identify that a customer has been in a free trial, at what point do you insert the engagement? Is it after a certain time period of usage? And then also, do you then make that decision, okay, this should go to an enterprise sales rep based on the firmographics, and this should go to an inside sales team? How do you make those decision points? Sure. And so there are multiple triggers across the journey. So Really upfront when they are filling up and signing up for a free trial, we are getting some information that can tell us right away if we think that they should talk to a sales development rep who can help qualify them further. And so from, you know, the faster that you can do that, the more responsive that prospect is going to be. So that's something that we try to do as quickly as possible, get those leads routed and responded to as quickly as possible. And so the initial Touch is very important, but as I mentioned, there are triggers across the journey, and that includes after there are paying customers. So one of the things that we've gotten better at over time is identifying once someone is a paying customer, perhaps through our digital business where they're more in a self-service motion, we can still get signals as a paying customer. And then at that point, you're truly trying to encourage them, reward them for being a good customer, but also signaling that they might be able to take advantage of more from our different offerings that we offer as they move up market. One of the things that is is unique about DocuSign's approach is that it has this natural kind of network effect. Uh, Most likely if you're using DocuSign, you're sharing that with another company that could be another potential customer of DocuSign. And it has sort of its own product virality loop. Can you kind of explain how you approach that at DocuSign and how you use that to your go-to-market, I guess, advantage? So for us, as you mentioned, people are signing an agreement. And as we think about that agreement process, oftentimes there are other people who have to sign that same document. And so making sure that first and foremost, that it's a great experience for the other people who are touching the product so that you know, this is oftentimes the first awareness point that people have of DocuSign. And so the product team does an excellent job of making sure that that experience is as simple and straightforward as possible, which leads to sort of a moment of delight for those prospects. And so we try to take advantage of that moment of delight and help them understand how we can help them, even in just a simple free plan where they might be able to save a copy of the document they've just signed so they can more easily access it in the future, so they can manage it and understand if there are multiple signers, who else has signed, where it is in the process. And over time, it also gives them the opportunity to 
become a user and send their documents for signature to other people as well. So they, we really try to think of them, both their needs as a signer, the person who's just received this, um, this document or agreement to sign, as well as somebody who could be a potential initiator of an agreement in the future. And so not everyone is in that second category. And so we are, again, always trying to look for signals that help us suggest what's the right way to, um, to nurture those those signers, but it's a really massive segment for us and really important. It's, it's a lot of why our product has been so well received is because it delights the person's customers and clients on the other side. And so how we then can help them through a, a journey and perhaps a deeper relationship with DocuSign is a really core t- to our business. I think it's a great point because as you mentioned, it's oftentimes the first experience for that signee. And it can be, you know, a very important point for them to engage with the product. Do you insert like people in that go-to-market process for the signee? Or do you hope that they log in and then start the sales cycle themselves? Or, or do you actually try to intervene at that point as well? So that's where the scale is such. And as well as the fact that these folks aren't really ready to talk to a salesperson, that it's really a self-service, low-touch motion for them, completely digital. And I think that's as it should be because of where they are in their journey. They're really just trying to get the document completed. And the person who's sending them the agreement would not be happy if if we were sending them off to a a sales rep right away. So part of the reason that the product took off in the first place is because we really created as little friction as possible for that signer. And that's still the case. We're really focused on um, making that experience great for them. But again, there's some benefit for them if they create an account. So uh, creating this free account does enable them to more easily access this document, to be able to have future documents in the same place and to be able to manage them as well as, again, if they have needs to get signatures from other people, that gives them the ability to get started on that front as well. So in that regard, it's a completely digital journey, but once they start, if we see that they have started to send a document or actually even further, we might send, get them triggered to sort of do a more full feature trial of the product. That then gives us signals that they might be interested in something more. And then we might insert some more human touch into the process. But really, we're letting the end user's actions and behavior help guide that journey. I think it's great. I mean, let the end user, like you said, guide the interaction because they're just an experiencer of the product at that point. They haven't showed any intent for it. So to kind of insert them early in the process could be very disruptive. And especially for the customer too, who's sending that document, their job is to make it as easy as possible for the person signing that document. Exactly. I want to talk about, you know, the SMB business at DocuSign. I think a lot of companies have a trouble augmenting maybe enterprise sales with SMB or vice versa, which, whichever one they started with. How have you kind of successfully operated these kind of go-to-market motions simultaneously? What are some of the keys to success in your mind uh, that other companies could take away who are selling enterprise SaaS across customer segments? Well, I definitely think of it as one of DocuSign's greatest strengths is that the product, and of course, we now have multiple product offerings, but our our core e-signature product is very well suited to businesses of all sizes. So we started uh, very much um, trying to solve a pain point actually in the real estate industry. So the founder of DocuSign, Tom Gonzer, his wife was a real estate agent. And so he understood the pain of real estate agreements and really very early on was focused on solving that pain. And we continued to really 
cater to the real estate industry, but of course have expanded into many other industries, um, including financial services and healthcare, life sciences, public sector, you name it. So we've gone from the ability, we have a product that can serve an individual small business like a real estate agent, all the way up to a global enterprise. And that is pretty unusual from a product offering perspective. So we are very fortunate that early work done on the product to make that easy enough to use for a really small business, but also secure and robust enough for an enterprise customer was just really critical foundational work that we continue to leverage today. So I'd say that the not every company has a product that can scale across business sizes in the way that DocuSigns has. Certainly some of the things that are really important to small businesses like ease of use are also actually very important to enterprise customers. And things like security, which is a no-brainer that an enterprise customer cares about, is also actually quite important to a small business. Now, they may not need quite as many certifications or they're not going to go as deep to understand how secure the platform is but they still care about it. And so the good news for us is the core benefits that and attributes that are important to customers are actually somewhat consistent across small business in the enterprise. Although the way that you message that, the way you bring it to life in the product, we do really think about that segment and try to cater to them differently. But again, as we've learned, we, we put a lot of focus early on for our small business customers to make our trial as easy as possible for them so they could get started on their own. And we learned that there was some things that we did very well in that trial experience that we're now carrying through and bringing to our enterprise customers, because of course, everyone wants things to be as easy to get started and easy to use as possible. I think that's a great point that oftentimes the actual core values of what you're delivering may be the same for SMB and enterprise. It's rather a nuanced way to communicate it, uh, to be effective with each one of these customer segments. I think that's actually a great point. Sometimes we try to over-engineer serving these different customer segments. I want to move up the, I guess, sales funnel to the demand generation side. I think demand gen was impacted pretty greatly in 2020 because for companies that do, you know, enterprise SaaS companies rely a lot of times on in-person events for that top of the funnel activity. Can you talk about how you've managed that, the, the mix of lead generation activities through this period and what you've found to be most effective for an enterprise technology company? So again, this is where our investment in the digital experience has really paid off for us because we already had a lot of the fundamentals. And so we were able, in our case, our business experienced really uh, had accelerated growth during as people moved to work remotely. So we were able to handle that velocity and scale because of the, the strength of the digital business. We simultaneously scaled up our sales team, although obviously that takes more time to hire people and train them and get them in, in seat. So fortunately, some of the motion that I was describing with um, our free trial and some of the work we do to automate the process of, of lead scoring and lead routing, and also just to be able to do an, a lot of email nurturing and things that don't require as much human touch, all of those items were in place. Of course, we continue to try to optimize them and improve them. And But we were fortunate that that really strong digital experience really helped us serve our customers well. On the event front, which you mentioned, of course, we had to make a shift. And in fact, our big annual customer event um, was scheduled in the spring of last year. So we very quickly had to make um, a shift to digital for that event. And 
I think what we found is that people were very interested in attending digitally. And so in some ways, it actually allowed us to reach a broader community of customers and prospects because they didn't have to travel to be part of the presentation. We've just recently had our our Momentum event, which again is our annual customer event. And of course, a year later, we got more sophisticated in how we delivered that digital content. So I think that the quality of that content and that event proved as we had more experience over time. But I think we've learned that that digital actually can be a fantastic way to have events that, again, have a much broader reach of customers, particularly as you think about small businesses who really, it can be tough to take a couple of days out of their work and the expense of traveling and staying somewhere else really can be prohibitive and make that event in the past was really focused on our larger enterprise customers. And now we've been able to broaden the appeal and reach to extend to customers of all sizes. I think that's really insightful. Has this past year impacted the way you go about paid performance marketing versus organic marketing leads? Any insights there? Did the mix change? Don't have to give exact numbers, but but did the strategy change at all? So I would say every marketer, every CEO loves organic leads. And so we're always trying to do everything we can to optimize organic leads and which are incredibly cost-effective. Of course, we want to and need to supplement that with paid programs as well. We still spend the majority of our budget on digital advertising, um, but we are experimenting beyond that. And we definitely are starting to consider some even further um, top of the funnel advertising, but we're really focused on making sure that our investments are ROI positive. And so we're doing a lot of testing um, our way into new channels and new opportunities in terms of our marketing mix. But I would say by and large, with the obviously big shift being away from the in-person events to the digital events, we still are spending on events. It's just a little bit of a different type of spend because it's digital, but we do a lot of paid search we do some YouTube advertising that, and we're expanding into other areas of advertising as well. And lots of email marketing, which I know years ago, people were thinking that email was dead. And in fact, we still, it's obviously not the way you get the initial um, contact with your prospect, but it is a great way to continue to nurture your customers. And so that still does factor into our mix as well. Surprisingly, I don't know if you do this at DocuSign, but I even heard targeted direct mail campaigns have been quite effective. You know, if it's for the right lead at the right stage of the process, I don't know if you're doing the same activity as well. You know, it's interesting because back in my days at Intuit, direct mail actually was a very effective way, particularly as we were reaching like our accountant community. We don't do that um, very much at, um, at DocuSign, but I do think that People are at home. And so if you happen to have their home address, it could be very effective. I mean, I think the challenge is a lot of times people are still giving their business address. And so sending a bunch of direct mail to an office, which people aren't in, is not going to be very effective. But if you have the right information, then yes, people are certainly in their, at least these days in their homes and probably opening their mail more than ever. (laughs) I haven't thought about that. I imagine my mail pile back at the office is going to be quite large. So I haven't checked it in a year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure if it'll still be there or or what's happening. But (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They might have just recycled it. Oftentimes, there is inherent friction. And we see it with a lot of companies between demand gen and the sales team on what's a qualified lead and, and the KPIs around that. 
Have you found an effective way to rectify that at DocuSign? What are some of the strategies you've used to kind of make sure that marketing qualified leads are up to snuff for the sales team? And, you know, the marketing team feels like, you know, their leads are getting the attention that they deserve. So you're absolutely right that that can be attention. And part of how we, a few years ago, really tried to reduce that tension is to make sure that the marketing organization was as focused on sales qualified opportunities as the sales organization was. So that was the common output metric of success. And the salesperson is the person who decides that it's a sales qualified opportunity. So that allows there to be no friction. Although, of course, we do still also measure marketing qualified leads. And that's where the lead scoring and making sure we continue to optimize that with input from our sales development reps, as well as our our account executives making sure that that lead scoring and that our up funnel marketing qualified leads are um, really the quality that we all would expect and want is also really important. And so we're doing both. We measure really every step in the funnel and we're trying to make sure we have alignment across the funnel so that we can look at those conversion rates. And when, when we think there's an opportunity to improve those conversion rates, we get everyone aligned on that and working together on trying to to make the improvements and optimizations that we think are possible. So in that scenario, does the lead scoring framework actually dictate whether it's a sales qualified lead? Does the sales person actually then have to make that decision because the rules and parameters have already been defined, I would imagine? So the lead scoring actually is more focused on the marketing qualified lead. So the lead scoring is what determines that something is what we call an MQL or marketing qualified lead. And so that lead score is more upfront, Um, but we have worked with the sales team recently, or I should say that the initiative was really led by our sales development reps, but with very much in partnership across sales and marketing to really make sure the definition of a sales qualified opportunity was being applied uniformly. And so reps wouldn't just decide that something's a sales qualified opportunity when they're about to become a close one deal. So there's work that we've done to try to standardize that definition across. It is still the sales, the AE's responsibility to determine that it's an SQO, but we've tried to standardize the definition. And we do really leverage some best practices and metrics that we get from places like serious decisions that help us know what's an industry standard. And so, for example, even though, of course, you want your close one to be as high as possible, on the other hand, you don't want it to be so high that it implies that people aren't actually turning enough things into sales qualified opportunities. So some of those sort of standard metrics can help you know where you may have room to push harder on some of those opportunities and those leads. Yeah, I would imagine if you had a high uh, conversion to Q1 stage, you may think that you might not be exploring enough of those leads to potentially convert. You might be leaving some on the table that could have been sales qualified leads. They may have been a little bit tougher to get to, but they're still you, you invested in those leads. So you should probably turn those rocks over, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. And that's where you need to be really careful also of how people are being rewarded and measured because if they're only measured on their percent of close one, they're actually going to be less motivated to um, turn something into a sales qualified opportunity. And so you want to make sure that there are sort of incentives and you're looking across the funnel. And that's where as you get larger, it can also be helpful because you can look across teams and see differences and start to understand why there might be those differences. And some of it can be because of lead quality, but some of it can be because of behavior of different teams. Yeah. I think we're all trained as individuals to think like 100% is the best number, but there's actually a healthy number of 
I don't want to call it failure, but not achievement, because that means you're kind of stretching the goals there. And like I said, covering a wider universe of potential opportunities. In our prior conversations, you mentioned sales ops being critical to kind of reducing this friction. How do you work with the sales ops? What's the interaction there? Are they the ones who are helping kind of analyze all these metrics for you? And and what's the relationship? So we have analysts are spread across the business, but the sales ops team is really critical in helping to set the plan. And so they play a really critical role in planning and have been very collaborative across teams to really try to understand all the inputs and their job. Obviously, they're trying to be as aggressive as possible, but make sure there's no sort of point of failure in that planning process. And so they have been really important and great partners at DocuSign. One of the things we touched on Previous in the conversation, I want to just circle back to it to make sure we kind of explore it. DocuSign's digital experience, it's so kind of paramount to the company's go-to-market strategy, the marketing strategy. What are the core pillars of a, a great digital enterprise experience in your opinion? You know, it's a great question. And we even um, at DocuSign use the word digital experience to mean different things. Um, We have a team that's called the digital experience team, but clearly our product itself is also a digital experience. So really, I think that when we think about digital experience in its broadest sense, it really is about how do we help people have the best experience possible with as little friction as possible. And that's true of both the product itself and the product experience. And I talked about sort of how important that work we did early on with the trial experience was and how important the product team does on our signer experience. Those are all sort of digital experiences, if you will, because the product itself is digital. But there's also pieces of the infrastructure that help enable the digital experience from more of a marketing perspective in terms of being able to make sure you are capturing all your leads and that you're able to route those leads and that you're able to, from an e-commerce perspective, that you're able to complete a purchase, that your website is, again, as has the content that your customers want, but that also has the performance that you need and that is as fast as possible. So there really are multiple components of digital experience. And really a lot of it has to do making sure that you're thinking, I'd say both outside in and inside out. So outside in, meaning that you're thinking about the prospect and customer who is touching that and making sure that their experience is as good as possible and uh, they're getting what they need out of that experience. And then the inside out part is making sure that you have the infrastructure and that you have the dashboards and metrics that show that your performance is where it needs to be and helps you identify opportunities where you can continue to improve and optimize. I think that's a great point. And I would love to touch in at just a high level, like what is the core technology stack for someone in your position that you rely on day to day to execute your job? Is it, you know, product telemetry tools? Like you don't have to name vendors per se, but like what is the core stack that you use to do your job successfully in your team? Sure. Not all of them are managed by my team, but the things that we, I mean, we obviously care a lot about our marketing automation platform that becomes critical. It sort of is, allows you to do both your email marketing, but it also is sort of central for the lead scoring. I think that we can say that we use Oracle Eloqua, but I, we can cut that out if not. Um, <laughs> and we also then use for lead routing, we use another vendor that integrates really well with Salesforce, which is our CRM platform. We have our website itself. Um, Obviously, the platform that we have for our content management system is really important. We're in the process actually of making um, some changes there. We have 
different work from the telemetry standpoint of understanding performance of that, which um, includes different vendors that help us both with things like Google Analytics, which is some of the basic site performance, as well as some other analytics platforms that help us more with funnel views. We have some other technology that becomes important are some testing platforms that we use. We also need to get customer insights. And we do that in a variety of different ways, including working with some research vendors who help us with more quantitative research, as well as there are great platforms and tools out there that help us with more qualitative testing. And Rico, if you want, I'm happy to sort of be more explicit about who we use, and then I can go back and confirm whether I'm allowed to, to disclose that or not. But I'm happy to, to share that if that would be helpful for them. How about we do another answer and you'd be explicit and then, um, yeah, we'll share with your team. And if they think that's okay, I always think it's interesting because like someone sitting in your shoes, who's going to build this out as a company, they're like, you know, what's the tech stack that I need to adopt? So yeah, let's do one answer if you don't mind with the names and then we can edit it out with the first answer if necessary. Okay. That sounds great. Well, clearly tech stack is really important and there are, we work with a number of different vendors. Our CEO sometimes makes the comment that we probably have a relationship with every uh, technology vendor (laughs) out there because we do have a a lot. And so we really are focused on making sure over time that we're really focused on the right vendors and that they integrate really well together because it does take time and effort to manage all of those relationships as well and making sure they pass all of our security standards. But in terms of some of the core functionality, one that we've, you know, partner that we've worked with for a long time, that's a central part of our technology is Oracle Eloqua, which is our marketing automation platform. We send all our emails through that system. More recently, we've also, our sales teams and our SDR teams have been working with Outreach, which is really user-friendly for individual reps to be able to use and access as well. We work with uh, Lean Data as an integration between Eloqua and Salesforce to help route our leads. And we have for our content management system for our website, that's something that's in the process of of changing. So I won't um, speak to that specific vendor there, but we have a lot of integrations there that are important, like Google Analytics. We also leverage Mixpanel. We use Optimizely for our A-B testing. And we really um, also are thinking as we think about customer insights, we have we work with a number of research partners, actually. We do some quantitative research on the brand awareness front with Qualtrics. We have some other survey work that we do with SurveyMonkey and Lutrix. And we qualitative research with platforms like user testing. So there's actually a, a very long list of really awesome technology companies that we use as part of our tech stack. And I think that you know, again, there are different point solutions that are really good for specific tasks, but also what becomes really important over time as you scale and grow is how those integrate and work together. On the analytic front, we do a lot of our analytics in-house. So we're doing, you know, a lot of things like our lead scoring model is is our own, you know, we have our own data, data scientists who are working on that type of model. So we don't use a third party for that. Yeah. I think one of the challenges for a lot of organizations is to aggregate all that data from those systems and the importance of of integration. So, you know, everyone knows that DocuSign as the e-signature company, but, you know, as you kind of mature as an enterprise technology company, you kind of spread that product breadth. Can you talk about that at DocuSign and where that stands today and how you manage that process of expansion? So our e-signature solution is still, you know, the center of, for us, what we're now calling the agreement cloud. It's the way that most people know DocuSign today, and it's the way that most people get started with DocuSign. But we've really started to paint the vision of DocuSign as an agreement cloud company. 
and really trying to think about the agreement process from end to end. And so what are the different needs that our customers have as they're initiating and completing agreements. So a couple of years ago, we purchased a company that was in contract lifecycle management. We've also purchased a company that was document analytics. Right now, some of those expanded offerings are a little more targeted to our enterprise customer, but we want to think about the agreement cloud for customers of all sizes. And so we'll be continuing to expand that. And as we think about the opportunity you know, clearly we now have more than 750,000 paying customers. And so to be able to sell more to those customers, the, the good news for us is those customers, we are uncovering new use cases for those customers, even just with our core e-signature products. So we have been able to expand our relationship with those customers, even with our core product. But we believe we have an opportunity as we develop this trusted relationship and this platform, as we can expand to the agreement cloud and to additional product needs, that's a really huge opportunity for DocuSign to um, expand and continue to grow from you know one and a half billion to five billion to ten billion. So we are always looking for ways to expand our growth and certainly expanding our relationship with existing customers is a critical part of that. Yeah, that's incredible customer breadth. So enormous opportunity if you can expand the product footprint at these accounts. So it sounds like an incredible opportunity. It sounds like a, an incredible journey from here. And it sounds like it's only going to get even better as you kind of expand the story for DocuSign. I like the agreement cloud nomenclature. So this has been great. Thank you. Anything else you want me to ask on that? I think that was great, Rico. Um, the only other question that does come up a lot, you know, we were talking about this a lot as being in the pandemic and working from home. So I think that now, that's obviously where we are today. But if we get lucky and this podcast lives on, there may be people who are tuning in after we're all back to work. And we do sometimes, particularly because we had just such impressive growth last year, we do sometimes get lumped into these work from home um, companies. And we believe that that's really actually, yes, we were very vital and instrumental in helping people work from home. But we, we believe that once people are using DocuSign, they're not going to go back to pen and paper. And so we now are talking about it as the anywhere economy. And so the fact that DocuSign, as well as you know some other companies, have products that are really enabling people to work from anywhere. And so, yes, we were vital as people moved to work from home, but we'll still be vital as people go back to the office or whatever flexible arrangement they may be looking at in the future. Yeah, it's so funny you say that. This is obviously won't get published, but I, I like personally in my stock portfolio, I have Zoom. It's been getting crushed. And I'm like... I don't I think people are underestimating like Zoom's not going anywhere and like their sales are just going to keep going up because now people are going to be hiring more distributed where they so they'll need Zoom for more accounts. And like for some of these companies, sure, this was a one-time shot in the arm that will be reduced. But for others, it's going to just be a persistent trend like DocuSign, like Zoom. It's a good point. What happened over the past year accelerated a lot of trends for companies and people are trying to figure out what is going to be the enduring impact of that? Companies like yourself, DocuSign, Zoom, and others, how do you look at you know, the post-pandemic world as it relates to DocuSign and in its relations to DocuSign's growth? So you're right that last year definitely accelerated our growth and that DocuSign played a really vital role in helping people make the transition. But we um, feel like every signal that we're having from our customers is that they don't want to go back to the old ways of doing things. And so we're really framing the future for us as the anywhere economy. And that 
we think applies to companies beyond just DocuSign. But as people really want products that and services that help them be able to work from anywhere, and that might be true if they go back to the office or if they're working remotely or some flexible arrangement in between, people... I think really value those tools and those products that help them be on the go because we know that hopefully people will be more mobile going forward, but that doesn't mean that they won't still need these services. And we're really excited about this concept of the anywhere economy and feel like DocuSign absolutely is a product that will be critical for it. I think that's a great point. A lot of SaaS companies have benefited as a result of this, but I think what's key for them is to find out what's the enduring impact from the customer behavior and how can not just benefit of that, but you know, use that for their company as they tell their story moving forward. That's really insightful. I like to end these interviews with uh, one question that has nothing to do with technology, but a, a better way for the audience, maybe just to get to know a little bit about you. The Bay Area, I feel, has been impacted by this uh, COVID and the remote work experience. So I want to show the Bay Area a little bit of love. What's your favorite thing to do? I know you you reside in the Bay Area. What's your favorite thing to do in the Bay Area when you have a weekend or so? So I love to cycle and I've been able, it's a great thing that I've been able to continue doing throughout COVID. I also have a Peloton, which I love. That's more the, obviously the indoor cycling, but has uh, been a bit of a lifesaver during COVID as well. I've also been doing a lot of hiking in my neighborhood and expanded beyond. And that has just been so wonderful to explore all of the great open space that we have in San Francisco. I think to your point, Rico, I think there are lots of stories about people moving out of California or moving out of San Francisco, but we actually have so much here that helps us with the outdoors, places like Ocean Beach, which are, you know, just for me, a short drive away. And I can't think of many places where I could be in the beach to the beach in 20 minutes, up to Tahoe in the mountains in a few hours, up to Sonoma or Napa wine country. And all of those are places with just fabulous outdoor activities. And I, it has definitely been so important to me. And I am really well, none of us have enjoyed some of the limitations that we've had on travel and other indoor restrictions um, in terms of group gatherings. I feel very fortunate to have been in an area where there's just so many wonderful places that you can be outside and really loved being able to explore and both places that I already knew and loved and then to be able to experience some places that I haven't been explored before just because of uh, the desire to be outside and moving. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think uh, really important that we get outside when now we're spending most of our time inside and secluded. And I agree with you, some just incredible hikes that are literally 10 minute drives outside the city or right in the city. So it, it's a pretty, it's a nice luxury to have. Do you actually cycle up the Marine Headlands? Because that is pretty, uh, I see people doing it. And that looks like one tough cycle. And then also not a lot of room there between cars and, and bikes. You know, but that's also one of the things that was great for a while is a lot of these um, roads were actually closed off to traffic. But yes, I do cycle up there. I cycle, you know, do some in the city, like up Twin Peaks and to the beach and some in Marin, some down in Woodside. I was up in Sonoma recently as well and do love cycling up there and Sonoma and Napa as well. So there's lots of great places to explore. And yes, it is definitely pretty much anywhere you go in the Bay Area, there are going to be hills, but uh, that's part of the fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's also rewarding once you get to the top, you get some 
epic views up there that are quite beautiful. Yeah, and you the downhill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, then fun. you get the downhill. Yeah, yeah, that's the nice part. <laughs> Although some of them are pretty steep, so you got to watch out. <laughs> Robin, I want to uh, thank you so much for your time. This was a great conversation about all things digital experiences, you know, product-led growth, you know, lead scoring and kind of pipeline management. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think the audience will as well. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? LinkedIn, they can find you connect and, and reach out? They can definitely find me on LinkedIn. I'm not as active as I'd like to be on Twitter, but I'm at Robin Joy on Twitter as well. And yes, thanks so much, Rico. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Robin. Take care. Bye.